we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time to say. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson on KLWN. And on today's show, we are going to be joined by Josh Briscoe to talk Chiefs. We've got another Johnny's Tavern KU Club interview coming up later this hour. We've got some player audio with MJ Rice and Ernest Uday, a couple of the freshmen on the KU basketball team. And we got another edition of Florida Man Mad Libs in the 5 o'clock hour. By the way, we're tied in Florida Man Mad Libs. We're now 5-5. Five and five Yes. Each. So this could be a big matchup coming up later in the show. Yes, it could. Find out who's going to go up 6-5. to five. Oh, it's going to be me. Oh, confidence. For sure. NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back. So tip off the season with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA Moneyline bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Uh, hit another nice little uh, player prop parlay last night. Hey, I hit one Enjoying last those. night too, actually. Okay, let's yeah. keep the good times rolling. Yeah. Um, I don't know what you want tonight. Nikola Jokic only had nine points, I think, last game. Really? He's going to bounce back. Playing against the Lakers. Big game. Night game and everything. Uh, Nikola Jokic to have a triple double. You can get it at like around three to one odds. I don't know. Maybe take a crack at it. Okay. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code KLWN. Make any $5 bet this week and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code KLWN. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Bonus issued is free bets. One boost per eligible game. Opt-in required. Deposit, parlay, and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility and terms at DraftKings.com and Sportsbook.DraftKings.com slash basketball terms before we get into our uh i guess full opening segment here this was released by ku today about um some of the things they're going to be doing with the different facilities and whatnot they kind of came up with a bunch of different goals and these plans and objectives so let's go through these Goal one, invest in all facilities and infrastructure in order to position Kansas Athletics facilities portfolio amongst the best in the Big 12 and top 25 in the country. So objective one, they're going to be developing a 10-year comprehensive sports-specific facilities master plan that outlines capital priorities, improvements, and costs. Now, there's going to be a lot of like big words in here, things that make it sound complicated. Basically, they have a 10-year plan where they're going to be working on, okay, this year we're going to work on football. This year we're going to work on basketball, all that stuff. Then they're going to objective two, construct, operate, maintain safe facilities. Objective three, prioritize capital projects, blah, 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 you know, fundraising, all that stuff. Um, here's one that's interesting. Objective five. I know this has been something that KU football fans have uh, certainly not been happy with. Dramatically improve Wi-Fi opportunities throughout all venues. Ah, there because we go. Whether you're at Allen Fieldhouse or. Yeah, uh, basically, once you get into. Yes, or uh, at the booth. The booth like, your phone becomes useless. Yes. Which is where my wife has, I think, I don't know, I guess I shouldn't give free advertising to the, you know, phone company, <laughs> but she gets okay reception. I get nothing. Yeah, I get nothing, too. 
I mean, I might as well turn my phone off. Once yes. Going to the stadium. Correct. Um, so then objective six, design and renovate facilities that match the financial resources. So then it goes to goal two, which is David Booth, Kansas Memorial Stadium. And objective one, it says transform the game day experience for our fans through a reimagined seating bowl design. So does that tell you that they've got to keep the bowl or they've got to keep the U shape? I mean, yes. But does that tell you they're going to close it off? No, I read no. that as they're not going to close. Okay. It off. Uh, expanded concessions. Good. Restrooms, good. And accessible seating locations, improved concourse circulation, good. And a new and diverse premium amenities. Uh, objective two, create year-round usable space for more large-scale activities that drive economic impact in the community. Again, that sings to me like there's going to be concerts. Yeah. I don't necessarily view the year-round usable space as they're going to use it maybe in December or January, because then that would have to imply that it's like a dome. Yeah. No, that makes sense. But if they're going to have but, these but like if shops, other, if, right. yeah, exactly. If there's other things that are open year round, yes, yes. Exactly. shops where you can go buy, you know, because there is no really like outlet store in Lawrence. Like there's there's downtown shopping and and the local buying, which you should go do like on Mass Street. But there's not yeah. like you know, so so maybe that's what it'll be, or maybe there'll be restaurants and and whatnot. I know Travis Goff when we talked to him a couple weeks ago said there could even be like doctors' offices down there. <laughs> So it's yeah. basically just going to be like a business area, and then they can maybe use the inside for concerts or meetings or whatever that's going on during the year, especially during the summer when there's no like uh, KU athletic stuff going on. So that's the David Booth Kansas Memorial side. Um, Anderson Family Football Complex, which is the the building kind of right outside of it. Objective one: maximize the day to day holistic experience for Jayhawk student athletes on football through enhanced spaces dedicated to sports performance, nutrition, sports medicine, meeting room. So, you know, just kind of adding stuff for so, the but players. Are they going to expand that? I don't know the how to take Anderson that. Family I just kind of view it as they're going to like maybe add certain rooms that like. Or like renovate it or. Yeah, like maybe there's certain but things. It's, it's already pretty new, right? Well, I yes, new-ish, but like maybe there's certain things in there that like what if certain schools nowadays have uh, like basically what are they called, like hyperbolic chambers or something? I don't know, just like ways of like recovery and relaxation. Maybe KU doesn't have certain things. Maybe they want more bells and whistles, essentially. That's okay. how I take it. Yep. I don't think it's going to be like a restructuring of the building. I think it's just going to be, you know, adding some more fancy toys for the the players. Okay. Uh, objective two, maximize efficiencies and space utilization by integrating elements of Anderson Football Complex and David Booth Kansas Memorial Complex. So I don't know if they're going to like connect them all the way through, what the deal is there. Um, that'll certainly be interesting. Hmm. Okay. Uh, let's see. They should definitely, they should definitely not enclose the bowl of the new stadium. That's my opinion. Yeah, I could be wrong. That's my opinion. No, I agree with you. I don't. I don't want them to do that. So here's goal four: Allen Fieldhouse renovation. Objective one: enhance in-game in-seat experience through new technology, video boards, lighting, sound system. There's there's nothing like wrong with the video board lighting and well, sound system. With you, but it's getting think, a little older. I think Shaq might have killed the sound system. You think so? He, They're like crap. He literally broke the bass. I think a couple times during the concert. <laughs> it was wild. Well, they just <laughs> may, maybe that was a realization that it's just like we don't have state of the art technology. Let's just get new stuff if if we can. You I know. Mean, I, do you know the last time they got new speakers or whatever at Allenfield House? I have no idea. <laughs> Objective two, improve overall fan experience through concourse renovations, concessions, restrooms, aesthetics, branding, and team store expansion. The team store expansion one is kind of interesting because they already have, they have two team stores in Allen Fieldhouse. Yeah, one of them isn't one of them's like where the rules. Of one of them's on the are, like across the yes, bridge thing. Correct on that level, yeah. and then the other one is at the east entrance by the the Fog Allen um, statue. 
when you like walk oh, yeah, in yeah. right to the left. Yep. So I don't know what what the deal is with that. Um, but yeah, regardless, it, it, to they me, could add more restrooms. I, and when they were talking about you know. Allen Fieldhouse renovations, this is a lot more than I what I thought they meant. Mm-hmm. So they're I guess they're really going to be doing quite a bit. With Allen Fieldhouse. I also, this objective three, augment premium hospitality spaces to rival the best in college basketball. A.K.A. Boosters. Is that just like for the big boosters? Yeah. yeah. A.K.A. Boosters, That's please. Check that. And then here's the last one, goal five for Hoagland Ballpark Renovation, which this is much needed. Yeah. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm not surprised it's below the list of football and basketball, just the priorities of the athletic department, but this is probably the one that needs it the most right now. I guess you could argue football. Objective one, improve the student-athlete experience through a renovated locker room, a new player lounge, lounge. And objective two, evaluate, plan, and create a funding path for a significant reimagination of the stadium focused on fan experience. So that tells me that they don't actually have a plan in place yet to redo the stadium or add to it or whatnot, but that they're trying to get the funding for it. Yeah. Like that's kind of and on it, the back it definitely does need it. We, we were talking about this off-air when we were talking about this. And Hopeland Ballpark, I think, is probably by far the least – updated or least I don't know how you want to phrase it I guess worst stadium in the Big 12 and when you look at other some of the premier Big 12 schools now obviously the Big 12 is an excellent baseball conference and that's reflected TCU built a like a 10 million dollar locker room facility for Doesn't baseball. Oklahoma State have like uh, a brand new yeah, one too? Yeah, Oklahoma State just got brand new stuff Texas Tech obviously has incredible facilities Tech Texas does also uh so so yeah I, that's definitely needed, like you said. Definitely needed to, to kind of get on that level. And it makes sense, right? You just hired a new coach. You want to generate more interest in the program. You want to generate some more excitement about the program with the new coach and everything. And what's better than a new stadium, a more upgraded stadium? So that's that's definitely needed. And I 100% agree with that. Okay, let's get into our uh, kind of opening segment here. Kansas is on a bye week this week. Be back at it next week against Oklahoma State. Still don't have time for that game, but when we do, we'll let you know. And Yeah, the Big 12 did this just ridiculous uh, thing. So I don't know what they're doing or why they did it. Where they were just like, hey, by the way, we're not going to announce any of the times like we normally do. We're just going to wait until next week. Yeah, so we'll let you know when we do, and we're going to have a remote out of Big Mill beforehand uh, where you can hear the pregame show uh, before the game and you know come by, get all sorts of free stuff out there. Um, what does Kansas most need to work on that's realistic during the bye? Because if if we're just saying anything, obviously you could just say, oh, well, you know, I, be I want better. the defense to be dominant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just be better. But like, realistically, <laughs> you're not going to all of a sudden just go from completely overhauling everything. Uh, the bye week is more so about getting rest and maybe fine-tuning things. So it's going to be small improvements, yeah. you would think, overall. So what realistically sticks out to you that the Kansas needs to do during the bye week? Well, we talked about it over the course of this week, but they've got to find a way to start faster. Right, and they've had, like I said, out of their eight games, they've had three games where the the start was about as bad as you could imagine it would be. Right, and and miraculously, they're two and one in those three games. Right, they came back and won two of them: Oklahoma State or not Oklahoma State, uh, <laughs> West Virginia and Houston. Right, and so they they got to find a way to start faster. And and I don't really know how you do that. I guess in the bye week, but just. You know, finding a way to, to, to get everybody locked in. Maybe you do stuff earlier in practices like, okay, we're going to start quicker in practice or whatever. But there's got to be some way to get the energy flowing for this team earlier in games because it's really put them in a hole. And really, if you think about it, they're pretty lucky to have won two of those three games. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, the starting fast and the in certain situations where they have been up late and haven't been able to ice it with four-minute offense, like those are two that to me seem very situational. I don't know really what you do to start faster 
if you change something, like I don't know how you go about that. The four minute offense, it just yeah, be I mean, about I execution. Guess if uh, maybe if you're scripting your plays on offense to start the game, you can script it in such a manner where maybe you might try using some tempo mm-hmm. or try, you know, something like that, going a little quicker, yeah. right? And maybe seen- planning defensively, being like, hey, normally this is what we do. Let's just blitz every play. Because if we're giving up a <laughs> touchdown on the first drive anyway, maybe we'll have, I don't know. You know or like, Katie, they, they have done the, what's the name of that? When they, do the huddle really, really quick and get to the ball. There's a term for it. Yeah, uh, I don't know what it's called. Like the pseudo huddle where they. No, all, it's like the sugar huddle. Yeah, I the sugar say. huddle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah so they, they 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 do some of that already, but that's something you could look at look to do on offense a little bit. And th- this maybe feels kind of silly saying this, but just just some of the little things for KU, right? Like we've talked about it. Stop fumbling, right? That's been your message to to, mm-hmm. to KU every week. Stop yeah. fumbling, right? Or just you know more discipline oriented stuff, and we I highlighted this earlier in the week or last week, whenever it was, about how you know those were areas that KU was really good at last season, and of all of everything that they've done so well this season, they've regressed a little bit in, in some of those other areas where they were really good at last year, discipline wise. So you know that could be something to just put a little extra emphasis on during the bye week, like hey, we need to protect, we need to protect the football, we got to play smart. You know we're in these last four games. I think it's safe to say that KU is going to be the lesser talented team against all four of their remaining opponents, maybe Texas Tech, maybe, I don't know. It'd be kind of close, but certainly against Oklahoma State and against Texas and probably against K-State too, you're going to be the, t- the team with less talent, right? So you got to do the little things right. Yeah, and that's, that's something that I think is very doable during a bye week because – Mostly during the week, you're you're working on preparation. You're working on scouting the other team or whatnot. That extra yeah. week, you can focus on the fundamental stuff, like getting back to the basics there, which would certainly be those small things like not fumbling, not committing penalties and whatnot. Obviously, health is the big one here, but that's not something you really work on. It's just something that happens over the course of time, and that would probably be the biggest thing that the bye week could do for you here. If it gets Jalen Daniels right, if it gets um, Kobe Bryant right, if it even gets some of the players who are playing through nagging injuries, yeah. I thought you made a great point bringing that up because yeah. you, you don't know, right? I mean, there probably there could be lots of other guys who are playing through different stuff that you don't know about. Yeah, so that that's obviously the most important of them, but it's not really something like I said you work on. I, I would be interested to see the planning of them being just more aggressive. You know, going into this next game, being like we're going to be more aggressive. KU hasn't, we're going to talk about this a little later in the 5 o'clock hour, KU hasn't gone for a ton of fourth downs this year. They've been a little bit more conservative in that regard, especially than they were a season ago. And it's not just the, um, I guess, like I said, like what would hurt at this point for maybe just like doing a Steve Spagnolo for a drive and just like <laughs> blitzing every play? Because if you're going to give up a touchdown early in the game anyway, might as well maybe get some hits on the quarterback or might as well have the chance of creating a sack or, or a forced fumble or something. Yeah, hmm. I get that. Yeah, so I think that's that's something I'd like to see. Uh, the self-scouting is something that the coaches brought up, and I think that's obviously something every team on a bye week does. They self-scout. They see what tendencies they do so that they can maybe try to surprise another team or that they can work on some of the things that, that they're struggling with. Obviously, scouting the opposition for the rest of the season, like going back over stuff. They they do it in the pre in the uh non or not the non conference, the preseason. Um like in the off season. They go through every like Big Twelve team and then they look back over them as the season goes on. 
the bye week, you have an extra opportunity this week to go back over, not just Oklahoma State, but every team you're playing the rest of the way yeah. and watch some football this week and get kind of a scouting done. Well, and against Oklahoma State, they're playing Kansas State, a team you're yeah. going to see later in the season too, right? So yeah. watching that game Kill two is, birds with one exactly, stone. Watching that game is going to be kind of uh, even more important for KU just to see what Oklahoma State's doing, but also you're, you're going to see that K-State team later in the season as well. Last season, the bye week was not too friendly for Kansas. They took the bye. So when did this bye come? Last year? Yeah. It was middle of the season. I don't remember the exact like, Around week like six or something like that. Uh, it was a little earlier than this one by about a week or two. And it was homecoming for KU football after the bye week. And they took on Texas Tech, who, you know, that's not one of the top three or five teams in the Big 12 last year. And they got housed. It was 41 to 14. So you hope for a little bit better off the bye this week. I went back and I, because we always talk about this with Andy Reid. He has this remarkable record off the bye. Yeah. Hasn't been necessarily that way for Lance Leipold, though. If you don't count his first two years at Buffalo when they were really trying to get things going there, it would be a little better. So coming off a bye week, Lance Leipold is 4-4 four and four in his time at Buffalo and Kansas. But if you discount those first two years at Buffalo when he was didn't have as good of teams, it'd be 4-2 and two since those first two years. Now, if you don't just look at um, bye weeks, if you look at extended rest, because if you remember, with him being at Buffalo, there were a lot of weeks where they played in the MAC and they, they might play, play a Tuesday, Tuesday game, <laughs> and so they have whatever that would be, 10, 11 days in between games for the next games. So if you add the extended rest, he's 11-11. and 11. So again, at, at pretty much 500. But again, if you get rid of the first two years when his team wasn't as good, he was 11 and 7 cents. And that also includes, he played in, I think, three bowl games at Buffalo. One of them was the a week directly after they played a game because the COVID year, the schedule was weird. The other two were off long periods, stretches of time that he had in between games. They went one and one in those. So the buy record isn't great overall, but it's not bad either. I just, I, I don't much, look at that. I guess how much stock do you put into this? I was just going to say, I don't really put anything into it. I just like, to me that's not a stat that like sticks out one way or another. The, the, it's just week, like a, the coming off of bye week stuff is it's kind of interesting because it seems like the literally the only coach in all the entire history of football that we bring it up about mm-hmm. is Andy Reid. You don't hear anybody the say so good. You don't hear anybody say, "Well, well Belichick off a of bye week." Well, what about whatever? You know, it's yeah. only Andy. Nobody else. Yeah, it's a, like stats like that. It's usually if it's either really bad or it's really good. That's when we bring them up. So this is just kind of in the middle. So it's just like, okay, I just kind of shrug <laughs> my shoulders at it. But I did want to kind of take a look at that and, and let people know. Obviously, last season this wasn't off the bye week. Although I guess a few weeks after the bye week, last season. They found their stride at the end of the year. The last three games, you beat Texas, you almost beat TCU in West Virginia, which in comparison for a team that's more talented this year and is better this year, if you were to do that over the last three games, that would relate to you know even more wins. So I don't know if, if how much we view the end of last season as clicking just as far as the program and the scheme and everything, or if we view it as clicking for that specific season for Kansas. But if Kansas this year finds that clicking over these last three or four weeks, similar to what they did last year, I wonder how good they could be at the end of this season. I think what gives me pause about that idea is the last two games you played last season were against two middling to bottom tier Big 12 teams. You've, you ended the season against TCU and West Virginia, and you played them very competitively, right? But those were not top of the league teams. 
Whereas, look at their four, final four games this season. Besides Texas Tech, you've got three other teams, certainly two in K-State and Oklahoma State, that have Big 12 title aspirations. Texas is not out of it, but you know how much talent they have. Now, obviously, you beat Texas last year, but Texas had basically quit on their season, I feel like, by the time mm-hmm. they played Kansas, right? And the same thing could happen to them again this year, right? Like, if Texas loses the next couple games, they might be in a similar situation again. But still, I, I think it's a combination of – I think you can look at it two ways. Yes, it's a com- It's one thing. Things were coming together at the end of the season for Kansas. They they figured some, some some things out, offensively and whatnot. But also that came against some of the weaker Big Twelve competition. TCU was not a good team last year, right? And neither was neither was West Virginia. Really, they were an average team, right? So while it was great to play those two teams close, I, I don't know that you can look at that and say, well, that's going to happen again this year because now they have had the whole year. Because part of it was, you know. They hadn't had that time to kind of ha- for things to come together in the off season because of how late they how late the coaching staff got involved with with Kansas. So I think at the end of the last season, you kind of had that moment of things were starting to come together for them just because of they'd been there for a while. And on top of that, they were playing some of the more middle tier teams in the Big Twelve. This year, you've had the whole year, you've had the whole off season, everything, and you've seen the results of that with how Kansas started the season. But now they have to play a tougher back end of the schedule this season, and you don't necessarily have that perk of well now things are starting to come together for us because they kind of I don't want to say they already had that, but they really did right to begin the season. They kind of already had that moment of things were clicking. Yeah, I just wonder if you could have like a a resurgence, so to speak. Yeah, like a resurgence and sort of a because at the end of the day, even though you are getting to know the scheme, and and I think that's mostly like you said what it was last season. Every team is slightly different. And and with the defensive yeah. side of the ball, I think specifically is where I look at here, you have so many transfers in on the defensive side of the ball. So what happens if the defense has that surge that you had overall as a team over the last three or four games this season, and all of a sudden the defense does you know get a lot better, and the offense has Jalen Daniels back, then I think that would lead to some yeah. nice success at the well, end Well, and if you beat Oklahoma State or even play a really, really competitive game against Oklahoma State, that's obviously going to give you a lot of confidence. And the, certainly the narrative around the Texas game is, you know, Texas hasn't beaten Kansas since 2017, 2018, mm-hmm. right? So it's like this almost meme effect, but it's a positive for Kansas, I guess, so to speak, right? So if they have a, if they come off the bye and play really well against Oklahoma State, that could just you serve to build on that for the rest of the season. He is Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we've got some MJ Rice audio from KU Men's Basketball Media Day yesterday. We've also got our KU Club interview with Daniel O'Connell of the Esports Club coming up at 345 here. Josh Briscoe talks Chiefs with us at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Back for another KU Club Sport interview brought to you by Johnny's Tavern. You can go by Johnny's Tavern, two locations in Lawrence. Feel like you're part of the neighborhood with Johnny's Tavern. We're joined by Daniel O'Connell of the uh, Daniel O'Connell of the Esports Club here uh, for this week's interview. So uh, we were just kind of talking off air. You you just graduated, but what got you involved with the club for esports? And and what's I don't know some of the cool things that the esports club provides to uh, the university and the students. Yeah, so I got involved uh, in 2017 when I was a freshman at KU. Um, I played gaming competitively and, and more specifically competed in esports competitions in high school. And um, when I went to college, I just looked for a space on campus where 
I could get involved more in that. Um, esports was already kind of established at KU by, at that time, and, and I just joined the existing club there. Um, I competed all four years and, and took on a management position as, as the club president my, uh, my junior year. Um, so I, I've always kind of been involved at KU for, for esports. And, you know, something that it, it offers for students is kind of that competitive experience that isn't always available for, for everyone. Um, it's pretty difficult to be a professional player in anything, especially, you know, in a, at the highest level of even something like video games. So um, having this opportunity for students on campus, uh, it really helps with, uh, you know, getting getting to know the community and getting to know um, more specifically, you know, how esports function in a collegiate setting. So what are the games that, that are being played? Like what types of video games, sports games? Is it, you know, World of Warcraft? Like what types of games are, are part of esports? Yeah, so the the crossover between, you know, mainstream, you know, Madden, FIFA, and traditional esports, it's not really there. You know, you're going to see mainly games like League of Legends, um, Valorant is a new one, Overwatch, Rocket League. These are not necessarily mainstream games that you see everyone playing, but they're games that are more tailored to the competitive audience just by the way that they're designed. Um, it's easier to have, you know, competitions with them as opposed to competitions with Madden or FIFA. And is that something where... Um I guess, do you have like specialists? Like, are there are there certain players who are part of the team who specialize in maybe one game, or, or is it everybody kind of does a little bit of everything? Yeah, it's you're going to have specialists in pretty much every game, and even more so, you're going to have different different roles that are um, made for certain games. You know, if I'm uh, playing the game Overwatch, uh, maybe I'm really good at playing certain characters as opposed to others, similar to how someone in football is really good at you know being a quarterback as opposed to being you know a wide receiver an offensive lineman how do competitions work like how often are they how is it scored take me through the competition side of things yeah so the the competition is quite simply you're just playing the game uh, it, itself uh, against another school typically um it's you know in in it's pretty simple with like a game like uh with madden or fifa there's just you're playing the sport it's itself but with with each of the games I've mentioned before, they all have their own objectives. And, you know, I could go on for an hour about how they all work, but ultimately you're just playing the game itself and you're working to complete your objectives faster or better than the other team. Um, and you're, you're usually competing directly against them, um, like live action in, in the moment. Um, and it's pretty much just, is your team better than the other one when it comes to completing these objectives in the game? Um, at least for how we compete uh, as as a college esport club or in a program, we primarily compete with other colleges. Um, it's gotten pretty big as a scene over the past, you know, five to ten years. So, pretty much every university you go to nowadays, especially in in North America, will have some form of um, esports club or esports program. And so, are you going to different tournaments? Like, are, are is there travel somewhere, or because this is? esports and it gives you the ability to kind of play online against each other is that something where you're just playing like another college from across the country but getting to stay in lawrence how does the travel side work yeah you know because it's online we have that option to play anyone whenever we can um and primarily we do play online um there are times where there are in-person competitions that we have traveled for um usually these are just around the midwest uh we've gone to um ottawa kansas just you know 30 miles south of here uh, Manhattan, Kansas for events. We're actually going to Highland, Kansas, um, near the Nebraska border um, here this weekend. So it's it's mainly just looking for opportunities around the area to go and compete. 
Um, the players love to compete in person, you know, even though you're still playing the game on a computer or on a console, wherever it may be. Um, having that in-person environment is, it can be, it can add another element to how that, how the game feels. But, you know, primarily we play online, but uh, if we, if we can get those in-person experiences, we'll, we'll always favor those. How do people join the club? Is it just something that's open to anyone? Are there tryouts involved? How does that process work? Yeah, so the the varsity program at KU is, is Kansas Esports, and it's not. It is open to all students, but there is a tryout process involved. For the four games I mentioned before, um, each game has its own tryout process in in the fall and in the spring, um, where we look to onboard new students. Um, it's it's a pretty competitive tryout process, you know. Uh, we can only take about seven to eight members uh, a year for these games. And when you have a campus as big as KU, there's going to be a lot of students who are not able to compete at the level uh, we have our teams competing at. Um, but that being said, it, the tryouts are open to anyone, um, but they are it is a pretty competitive process. So for the varsity team, it's you know the best of the best, essentially. But anybody can join the club and still be a part of the team, even if they're not on varsity, and they can still you know, kind of use it as a way to, to meet some friends and, and play some games that maybe they're interested in or, or maybe they're pretty good at. Um, is that something where somebody could just join at any point in time? Or, or like you said, with tryouts being once each semester, is it kind of like a, a specific time in the year? Yeah, so the, the club side of things is open year-round. Um, and it, that's mainly focused on just having fun in-person events occasionally throughout the semester and letting students get to know each other through gaming, through esports. Um, again, the varsity side is a little bit more secluded and more, you know, uh, it, it, there's a few layers to, to go through to, to join them, but the club side itself, uh, it's open to join at any moment. Um, really, you just have to be a student at KU. We're talking with Daniel O'Connell here for the esports club uh, with Kansas. This interview brought to you by Johnny's Tavern. Uh, what's the history of esports club at, at Kansas? Because obviously this is uh, more of a newer thing. I would imagine that it hasn't been around much longer than, than maybe a, a handful of years here. Do you do you know the history behind the club? So uh, I, all I know is the club existed before I was a student in 2017 when I was a freshman. Um, going going forward from that, um, it's grown quite a bit into what it is now, where we actually have university support working with um, the KU Memorial Union. Um, and we we've reached out to sponsors. We have, um, you know, pretty much it's just a normal organization at this point that you see. Um, it's just a large student organization. Um, the history itself is uh, it's pretty new. All you know, college esports wasn't a thing ten years ago, and and now you look around at universities and pretty much every college has it. So um, it's grown fast and and grown um, pretty large. You know, if you look at the landscape of esports globally, it's it's following a similar trend, um, albeit a little bit you know, at a slower pace um, because there is so many there's so much red tape that has to be done at at large universities. But um, it's it's growing quickly and it's still pretty young. I would say the the esports scene at KU is only about six or seven years old. For uh, the the fundraising side of things, you mentioned having different sponsors and, and people that you reach out to. I'd imagine there's costs associated with, you know, whether it's just the hardware itself of buying a console or buying a controller, or, or, or I don't know what all is supplied to you guys from the union or, or from KU or whatnot versus what you have to kind of put into it. But what are some of the, the things that you guys do to fundraise or, or put together the money that's needed for the season? Yeah, so most fundraising is either through donations 
Um, either that be typically through alumni who have who have gone through our program in the past, um, or through sponsorships, like I've said before, where we work with companies and we we typically host events and in, in include them on our social media post uh, and use those funds to allocate for for merchandising and for um, just typical you know travel ticket fares for for events we go to and and simple competition fees. And so is you mentioned with like donations and whatnot, where would somebody go to, to go about that? Yeah, on our website, uh, esports.ku.edu, um, there is a donate tab. Um, all proceeds go to directly to the students themselves. Um, one thing that is kind of getting big in college esports right now is, is there are some universities that are able to offer scholarships. Um, that is pretty much the next big goal for, for us is to be able to have our players on scholarship and um, any money that is donated through uh, our website and through the KU um, endowment fund is is directly given back to the students that way. And how many students are, are on the team? We have a total of 34 right now. Um, we, we recently added a new game. Like I said, Valorant is a new game to our program this year. So um, we expanded quite a bit. We added about eight students um, as opposed to the last two years. So uh, we're growing fast, but um, still, looking to offer, you know, however we however we can help the students who put in so much work. Awesome. Well, Daniel, I appreciate you coming in here and, and sharing some stuff about the eSports Club, and uh, good luck on, on all the upcoming seasons and, and whatnot for, for you guys. Thank you. All right, that's uh, Daniel O'Connell of the eSports Club. This interview brought to you by Johnny's Tavern. Two locations in Lawrence. Go check out Ren Rick Renfro at the uh, north location across the river for the original Johnny's here in town. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Four o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and we're joined now by Josh Briscoe, co-host of The Zone and host of Chiefs Post Game on 810, Arrowhead Report and Times Hours, and you can give him a follow at JB Briscoe on Twitter. Josh, thanks for coming on today. The Chiefs sitting at 5-2, and two, headed into the bye week here. On a scale of 1-10, to 10, especially if you add in maybe where you thought they would be through this first seven before the season began, how would you grade what position the Chiefs are in right now overall? Oh, all right. Sorry, man. I, uh, I lost you there for a decent chunk of that. It's something about a 1-10 to 10 in the Chiefs overall. So I'm going to say like a 7.5 and, and then kind of hope <laughs> that, that was the gist of the question. The question there was on a scale of 1 to 10, which honestly, that, that might be the right answer. Um, on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate the positions or in, the position that the Chiefs are in overall at the moment, uh, especially given where maybe you thought they would have been through the first seven games this season? Yeah, I, I, I'm going to stick to my guns. I think about a 7.5, maybe <laughs> you could talk me into an 8. Um, because, look, they're in a really good position in a conference that has exactly one other really good team. The issue is they lost to that team and then also lost to a truly terrible team um, that has now already descended into the depths of madness. So that Colts game, I mean, just is a, a gut punch, but at least you understand what happened. Like, it was just mistake after mistake. The Bills game is just its tough to swallow because you almost certainly feel like that means the AFC Championship game is going to go through Buffalo. Uh, but the Chiefs could obviously host if Bills get upset earlier than that. That's way down the road. Beyond that, I, I think some of the individual performances, the state of the offense without Tyreek Hill, a lot of the young defenders, I, I think really grab and, and pull me closer to the eight than the seven and a half, probably. 
Do you think that the 49ers game last week, did that represent the offense clicking and maybe showing what this is going to be the rest of the season? Or was that more so just a representation of what the ceiling could look like? Um, I think it's closer to the ceiling than the consistency, but I, I do think it was the proof of concept for the Tyreek Hill trade. Like, I, I think you say, hey, we, we are, and I, I don't like doing everything through the lens of Tyreek Hill. I know I've mentioned his name now three separate times, but I, I think that it's the proof of concept there because you say, hey, when we make this, this giant move and totally uproot the offense, here's what we think it will look like when we get other pieces in and then also use some of that money and some of those picks to bolster the defense. I think that's what you saw against the Niners. You, you saw MVS being there for the deep shots. You saw Juju being an excellent intermediate target alongside, obviously, Travis Kelsey. You get some McCole Hardman um, manufactured touches. That, I think, is what the like borderline ideal form of this offense looks like, largely predicated on the fact that the defense was really good and handled Nick Bosa. So I, I think that that is what they want it to look like. I think it's going to be somewhat sustainable. Uh, where you're probably not going to get Juju, MVS, Kelsey, and Hardman all having big games in their own right every week. But against the top three defense, they all did. And I do think that really counts for something. What do you think is the the team's most logical lane for improvement over the final nine games then? Um, internal. I, I, it's a great way of phrasing that question because I don't really think they're going to make a big move. Certainly not a big move at the deadline. I don't know if they're going to make any move at the deadline. But I do think there is legitimate room for improvement for guys in this rookie class in particular. Virtually everybody in the rookie class has made some sort of impact already. Uh, Darian Kennard, I guess, notwithstanding. I think everybody else has seen the field. I guess Naze Johnson's been up and down. But um, in terms of, like, on the – I think he – He's on the practice squad and maybe hit the active roster at some point. But we're talking about, like, eight of these guys making legitimate impacts. And George Karloftis is obviously not a finished product. You expect his best football to be ahead of him and to continue improving as the year goes on. Um, Sky Moore, I think, will be a bigger part of this offense by the end of the year. I've always thought that would be a decently long problem, a real decently long progress to solve the Chiefs' problem of maybe not having all the weapons they want all at once. That's going to be different by the end of the year. And maybe most importantly, Trent McDuffie is coming back. And now you have a legit improvement that I think is a borderline lock at corner, a really good chance for improvement at receiver as more gets more comfortable and more familiar in the offense and all the intricacies of it, which Andy Reid kind of laid out when he kind of lightly threw him under the bus for that Patrick Mahomes pick. Um, and, and then you have an, an, maybe a 50-50 proposition. But I think, I think George Karloftis is definitely going to get better over the course of the season. I am not sure how much or how far I would be willing to take that in terms of what percentage of improvement, but I think their best chance of improvement is from their own rookie class. So which of these three, Trent McDuffie returning, Isaiah Pacheco just maybe getting a bigger role, or Sky Mm -hmm. Moore just developing or playing more, whatever it is, which of those three do you think would lead to the biggest improvement? (sighs) That's a good question. I think the McDuffie thing is just going to happen. I think if I could wave a magic wand and make one of them happen, it might be Sky Moore. Um, even though I, I am, I've been a believer in Juju. I, I wanted them to sign them last off season. They obviously tried. Um, I like Pacheco. I think that's coming. I just think it'll be around and it will be a slight improvement. But I think if they had like a legit number one ish evolution from Sky Moore. That's what I would pick. If it's going to be kind of by those degrees, um, I, I think McDuffie being back is is the sure bet that will have a major impact because it changes what the defense can do. It's not only that it takes away the, the biggest impact of, of a negative force. 
if it's Rashad Fitton not having a great game, if it's Josh Williams being out there a lot early in his career, Jalen Watson, who's, who's been really good, seven-round pick, and that's a big ask for him. I think that that's going to raise the tide of the defense, both in that individual position and also for what the defense can do around them in terms of what you're asking Juan Thornhill to do, or Brian Cook, or, or obviously Justin Reed and, and all those guys. On the topic of this draft class, at the end of the draft and really all through the offseason, the Chiefs draft class was kind of raved as the best draft class. You know, the Chiefs had the best draft. They were widely regarded as having the best draft after mm-hmm. post-draft grades. I guess for these rookies, do you think they've sort of lived up to that so far this season, or how would you look at how the rookies have played so far this season? Yeah, I think that kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with, with where I think they have room to improve. It kind of implies that I think that those guys haven't hit their ceiling, right? So I think it's a really uh, a good question and an interest, interesting way to frame that because, yeah, I mean uh, – I would say that, that most of the guys who are talking about at least have basically been on the track that I reasonably expected. None of them have seemed, not none of them, Jalen Watson has overachieved certainly from his draft spot especially. But it's not like any of them have really exceeded expectations that were relatively lofty. So I, I think it's a good time to keep in mind that the payoff of a rookie class is very rarely within the first few weeks of a season. It's still rarely even in the first year of a career. And that ultimately, I think we're going to see the fruits of that or the fact that we overhyped it. We'll see. I think that's going to be something we're able to see at this time next year. Uh, but in terms of like hitting their potential, I think at least Carlos is in the sky. Um, and maybe even Brian Cook, as they play more, will get better and therefore will get closer to that ceiling. But I think it's an interesting point that um, none of them have exactly been dominant to this point. The news yesterday, Frank Clark suspended for two games. Obviously, the stuff that leads to the suspension, not good. And, you know, we'll, we'll leave it at that. Uh, but in terms of on the field, I was actually yesterday trying to make the case to Nick that this could actually be a good thing um, because <laughs> this is a guy that's dealt with all sorts of injuries over the course of his career, illnesses and whatnot. Could you actually make the case that Frank Clark getting a two-game break could be beneficial long-term? I wouldn't, but I understand how you could. <laughs> that's, I think that's my, that's my spot. I think it'd be better for him to be available, and if he misses time, he misses time. Um, I think that, you know, not... I think, I think he would not be at the facility for one week and then would return for the next week if that, like, half of the suspension rule stays, stays true for a, a two-gamer. I, don't, I imagine that it does. Um, I, I just think that position, man, has been so thoroughly whelming, if not fully <laughs> underwhelming, that, that anybody you lose from that group is tough. I think the silver lining really is that Andy Reid said post-game they expect to have Mike Dana back after the bye. Um, Malik Herring looks pretty good in some limited snaps, so they're going to they're gonna have to do some cobbling together. But for, for a team whose best defensive end is definitely Chris Jones, um, and he's only out there every once in a while, it, it's, it's hard to lose anybody for any stretch of time. I think the big brain thinking might be, hey, at least they didn't have his suspension at the same time they had Willie Gaze, because now you're talking about a defense that's moving without like six or seven starters with the injuries and all that. Well, I think also what you're leaving out, though, that opened up some salary cap space for them. And then, uh, that's true. You know, that's true. You have that in there as well. You have the Travis Kelsey contract uh, restructuring or however it was termed. You mentioned that you weren't sure they were going to actually do anything at the trade deadline. So I, 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 th- I guess what do you think would be more likely? Would it be going out and making a signing of someone like Odell or, or maybe trying to pick someone, someone up via trade? It's, it's tough because 
the guys that are out on the market in late October are very rarely needle movers. It's why I spent so much time on Mel Beckham and even why I can't like help myself from mentioning the name of Ndamukong Sue uh, because it's fun and those are the guys you've heard of that can maybe make an impact. I don't think this team should be trading anything within the first two days of the draft at least, and maybe not anything earlier than the fifth or sixth round, trying to make those moves. Melvin Ingram was worth it last year on a a sixth-round pick for basically half a year of work. Um, He made an impact in that time, and it's a late late enough round pick that you'd you'd make that move again. Robert Quinn would have been the guy on my list. He actually was on a a little blurb that I don't think we'll ever see the pages of ArrowheadReport.com because I was like, yeah, you know, in this sort of mock trade situation, if the Chiefs sent a fifth or a sixth for Robert Quinn and worked around that money, I would understand how they would do that or why they would do that. And there just aren't candidates out here that make it worth it for me to essentially pay for them twice, right? That's when you trade draft picks and then also have to deal with the money, you you are losing the benefit of a rookie contract with that draft pick that you are saying, hey, we'll give it up if it's for a player. But proven, quote-unquote, uh, changes meanings depending on the player you're talking about and also the, the length of time. Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought up that Robert Quinn trade. Uh, I, I know a lot of people, not just yourself, had been bringing his name up for a while now. And it was reported that the Bears are going to be paying a majority of the salary that he got brought over. So uh, okay. would you have matched that if you were hypothetically Brett Veach? If, if you could trade a fourth for Robert Quinn where they would take on most of his salary, would you have done that for the Chiefs? Um, so so here's I couldn't have beaten it because a third I wouldn't have done and the Eagles' fourth-round pick will presumably be better than the Chiefs. Um, and then they stayed in the NFC. But I don't know if the, maybe 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 the Bears would have taken the Chiefs fourth instead. I don't know. Um, well, couldn't I you done like a fourth really and a seventh? Part. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if that if that comes into play, then then maybe I I would have been really close at balking at more than a fifth. I think I offered a fifth in my in my mock trade, and that's late in the draft. The Chiefs have extra picks. I can't remember. I think I have extra thirds and fifths, but only the one fourth off the top of my head. Um, I it would have been tempted, especially knowing how much the how much money the Bears were going to eat. I was also near on about, but hey, you know what? They get a better pick by paying for more of that money. I would have been very tempted. I also have to admit that this offseason, Robert Quinn was a lot more attractive of an asset than he is right now. Um, maybe that's just the stink of playing for the Bears. Maybe he actually has you know had a rough season at this point. So I would have been I would have done it for a fifth probably. I would have been tempted for a fourth. And at that point, it might have been about how the Chiefs honestly view him beyond just this year. So I would not have given up a fourth just for whatever it would have been, a, you know, 10 games in the playoffs. I think, that's, I think that's a bit steep. Nine games left for the Chiefs after the bye week. What do you make of the back end of this schedule? Because obviously, before the season, it was, oh, this is the schedule from hell. Obviously, you know, once you get into the season, there are going to be teams that are worse than you think, teams that are better than you think. Uh, so what do you make of the back end of the schedule here? It's just kind of funny, like that AFC South group looks even worse than we thought. Even though they already <laughs> lost to the Colts, which I keep bringing up. Um, the AFC West, those two games against the Broncos, let's hide. Like those don't seem nearly as uh, as spooky as they did in the offseason. So yeah, I, I think you see a lot of teams in the back half of the schedule kind of have their stock dipping. But I do genuinely think that's true for like. 28 NFL teams probably that are maybe underperforming where they thought they'd be, at least in terms of like this team, the Chiefs wouldn't beat the, the, the Buccaneers. And it was like, whew, they dodged that bullet. And now the Bucks look terrible. So 
I, I feel pretty good because I think the Chiefs are legitimately good, and their consistency that high up is much further advanced than most teams not named the Buffalo Bills. It also means they're going to probably have a sinker and drop a game they shouldn't lose. I don't think it can get as bad as the Colts game did. And most of the time now when you start kind of trusting the Chiefs to put away a, an NFC team that shouldn't actually be a, only a two-point underdog or whatever, they, they did that to the Cardinals. They did it to the Niners. I, I kind of think that the, uh, the rest of the NFL is, is not quite as challenging as it once looked to be, and, and that's maybe even doubly true in the AFC West. Are you good to go for another edition of Good Idea, Bad Idea? You know I'm always ready for another edition of Good Idea, Bad Idea. All right. First up, signing Odell Beckham Jr., but not just signing him, signing him to a multi-year contract. I kind of think, low-key, this is a good idea. Because, first of all, obviously, a ton of it's going to come down to, like, Rick Burkholder in this scenario, right? Hey, man, how about the Chiefs VP of Sports Medicine? How is that knee actually doing? And right now we don't really know the answer to that question. If he wanted to sign a deal like that, hey, we got you for the playoffs. You have a whole offseason in the playbook, and it's, uh, it's clobbering time come 2023, especially with Juju not being under contract. I think it's a good idea. Giving Juju Smith-Schuster a contract extension. Also a good idea. I, uh, I was surprised by his overall, um, the, the lowness of his contract entering this year. I think that he, right now, I mean, health the rest of the season would be a concern. I don't know if he would want to sign an extension right now because he might see that this one year in Kansas City is the, the rehab that his, uh, his box score needed, and, and he might make a lot of money somewhere else next offseason, but I would certainly be asking him what it would cost to keep him around. Yeah, just out of curiosity, have you thought at all uh, about what a Juju contract extension would look like? I really have not. I've thought about what the offense without him would look like, and that is, is why I've thought about <laughs> the contract some. Um, but I really have not. I from from him being kind of sh- kind of shockingly young to uh, to his sort of strange career path and the injuries, I really have not gone through to kind of figure out what that might look like. But if the Chiefs wanted to keep him around for you know three years with a with a sort of mutual option looking kind of fourth, I'd I'd be I'd be very interested. Okay, so I know you said no trading first or second day picks here. We heard the report yeah. about the Panthers wanting two first round picks for Brian Burns, which we can go back and forth whether we believe it or not, because we heard kind of the same thing about yeah. Christian McCaffrey and he went for a little less, I'm sure. Part of that is just the team trying to, you know, rise up the price. Let's say the Chiefs yeah. can get Brian Burns for a second round pick. Do you do it? Yeah. Yeah, that, that would probably be my threshold, I think. You're talking about a late second. They have a couple of thirds because Ryan Poles and all that. Um, I I don't love what would come with it. When I talk about paying twice, you know, that Frank Clark contract is the one I'm, I'm talking about. And it could end up being Orlando Brown as well, where you give up the picks and you know that contract is coming. They would have to get a contract extension done this offseason, even though he's under contract next year. You don't want to have him playing in a lame duck year, probably. They did it with OBJ, and by OBJ, I mean Orlando Brown Jr. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that at that point, if you're talking about the 60-something pick, that, that that's what I would be willing to, to part with. What you just mentioned there with Orlando Brown. Moving Orlando yeah. Brown back to right tackle. Good idea, bad idea. Bad idea, partially because that was legit, like, one of the turning points in, in Baltimore. Like, he he wanted to be a left tackle, and you might say, why would you care? And it just 
because the relationship matters there, not just for like the functionality of the team today, but also if you want him to stick around at all. Uh, and the biggest reason it's a bad idea is because who is your play? Who is your left tackle now? And I promise it would be someone worse than Orlando Brown. Um, I, and I think the heat on the tackle appropriately lessened up a little bit after the Niners game. I, I think I think the narratives of the off season have have kept um, keeping people. You know, holding holding Orlando Brown under a microscope a little bit. Not not totally unfairly. He's not been great. But I, I think the uh, the reaction may have been too extreme these last few weeks. I'm taking this one from your co-host on Times Ours with Seth, Seth Kaiser. He suggested trading okay. a fourth-round pick from Jerry Hughes. Good idea, bad idea. I'm sorry, you, you cut out one more time. I forgot the name that time. Fourth-round pick for Jerry Hughes. Yes, it was. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it's probably a good idea. That that entire defensive line needs help. You can make you can make Chris Jones more flexible. Losing Tershawn Wharton is hard, and then anything you could get for flexibility at the edge. They like guys to move around and everything. So yeah, I uh, would need more information. Idea, but I'm not opposed to it on its face. All right, Josh. Last one: doing high knees down the aisle on an eight-hour plane ride. Good idea. Bad idea. Just the best idea anyone's ever had. Uh, we had Cynthia Freeland of NFL Network on uh, on the zone today, and I butted my way in to ask her if it would be easier or harder to do high knees at altitude because that, to me, is really what this all comes down to. Is I mean, how how much grind can Russell Wilson get out of this? Just imagine <laughs> being Jerry Judy, just try, wearing a sleep mask under your, just trying to get some rest on your eight-hour flight to London. This is a team of professional football players, adult grown men. Just trying to get some shut eye or hang out on the flight, and you, they've got your your terrible quarter billion dollar quarterback doing drills up and down the aisles. I know this is a lot. I'm going to regret saying this after the fact because I'm being a prisoner of the moment. That might be the corniest thing Russell Wilson's ever mm. done. Incredible idea. Also, there's no way Russell Wilson's doing that quietly, right? Like he's no, not- <laughs> no, no. He was just resting his resting teammates. <laughs> Oh my gosh! I'm gonna do that on the next flight I'm on, just with a bunch of random people. Be like, hey, Russell Wilson did it. I'm, I, I was thinking the same thing. I'm, I'm going to Florida to see my family around Thanksgiving, and I was really thinking, like, could I get, could I get my fiance to like hold the phone while I do like at least one rep of high knees down and back? But I just, like, I think I might get like sent to the air marshal. Like, I just don't, I don't think you can kind of screw around like that on a commercial flight. I think, hey, I'm doing a bit is not a good enough explanation for a flight attendant. He is Josh Briscoe. You can check him out again on 810 Arrowhead Report and Times Ours. You can follow him at JB Briscoe on Twitter. Josh, appreciate the time as always, man. Always fun, always a good idea. <laughs> That's Josh Briscoe joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We'll be back for a college football whip round on the other side. <laughs> Five o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson here. We have Florida Man Mad Libs coming up in about 15 minutes from right now. Normally, we do our KU offensive notebook, KU defensive notebook for the previous week's football game. Uh, This week, though, I have an added one, special teams and other notebook, because there were enough notes to go around from the last game. I have brought up the fact that KU ranks well in like special teams efficiency so far this season. And that coming into that Baylor game, 
I think they were top 30 in the country, top 20 in the country. I forget the rating. was. I think it was like 20th maybe. Uh, and Baylor was like 127th. So you would think that there could be a, a big margin of difference there and that that could be an advantage for KU in a game like that. But uh, Baylor was the one who had the – I mean, it wasn't like a, I guess, super notable special teams advantage, but Baylor was the one who had the long punt return in the game and they kind of won out on the special teams there. Kansas is still ranked in the top 25 in special teams efficiency this year. They're 24th. Baylor moved up to 124th. Um, but I just think it's so interesting how well they have rated in some of those efficiency numbers, despite the fact that they don't really have a... I'm trying to put this nicely. They don't really have a good kicker or punter. They don't. I don't, I don't, that's not mean. That's not being mean. I know. You didn't say they suck. You did. I didn't say they suck. You just did. No, I didn't. (laughs) I just, I just said that you didn't say it. (laughs) I didn't say it. Verbatim, you said the words. But, uh, but no, because I didn't say specifically. (laughs) I just said, no, I'm putting it, I'm putting it on a big graphic and we're tweeting it out. Nick Springer (laughs) said no. Um, But no, I mean, they, last year, uh, like just statistically, last year, KU had the lowest field goal percentage in the conference, and the drop off from them to the next worst was like ten percent. Also, their yards per punt, there was a couple yard per punt drop off from them to the next lowest team in the conference. And I said this in the off season. This isn't like when when you have a kicker and punter, it's not one of those positions where. If a quarterback has an up and down year, or if a receiver, you know, doesn't have a, a big production year, you can be like, oh, but they could improve. With kickers and punters, there's not as much to improve on. It's not like like with a quarterback, it's like, oh, I was just around the game longer, it started slowing down. Or I understand the playbook. You're saying more. a punter or a kicker could they are just what they are. get stronger? They could. Leg, you know, they kick could. farther. They could. Or get more accurate with his technique and how he punts. I or... mean, I, I think they can fine tune it. I'm not saying they can't get better at all. I mean, all. listen, all I'm saying is this. You watch NFL punters. Yeah. Those guys are insane. Yeah. It's it's obvious that they have a lot of skill. I guess my point, doing. though, is that when you see a kicker in college football, when they're really good in as a freshman. Yeah, in college yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, like, when you're when they're really good as a freshman, they're still just as good as a senior. Or when they're bad as a freshman, how often do those guys all of a sudden become good as seniors? It's it's not the same career arc that you see these other positions. There I is just not. more about it that I think is just physical of, like, how far can you kick the ball? Like you said, maybe you can fine-tune it. Maybe you can go from being someone who can kick 40 yards consistently to 42. But we don't see guys who are like, oh, I'm missing 40 yarders every time my freshman year to now all of a sudden I'm booming 55 yarders as a senior. You don't see it. You don't see it at all. Um, I mean, yeah. So I, I just had— There's a lot of other factors involved, though. There are. I'm just saying, like, I, I didn't really expect there to be massive improvement it sounds there. sounds like you hate kickers. No, I don't. I'm just, I just. I mean, it's okay uh, to admit it. It's just more of a finished product, I guess would be it's my okay, way of putting it. It's okay it. to admit it, you know. The first step towards rehabilitation <laughs> is admitting you have a problem. <laughs> no. Justin Tucker, I love Justin Tucker. <laughs> um, I just, I, I don't know what to do with this because it's such a limiting factor for KU on special teams of like, for instance, the first, I think it was the first drive of the game, KU had like a 15-yard punt. And that, that's so well, debilitating. Okay. There was extreme there was. conditions that were involved in that. I know. I know. But the wind was blowing a billion miles an hour. But, like, that's not the the first time that has happened. <laughs> and it won't be no, the last not. time. That could be true. KU missing field goals short. You didn't have that against Baylor. But, um, yeah. 
You know, we saw it against like TCU. They've had problems there, which honestly makes the fact that they're rated so high on some of these things, I think, kind of remarkable. Because the biggest part to me when I think of special teams game, outside of just the disaster plays of like, did you get a punt blocked (laughs) or like, did you allow a kick return touchdown, is are you just good at punting, pinning teams deep, and and making field goals? Well, again, like the kickoff game for KU, Mm -hmm. that really hurt them against TCU. Really hurt them. TCU had shorter fields more often than not in that game as well, right? And they even had, uh, in the TCU game, they had a penalty, the unsportsmanlike against Quentin Skinner. They kicked off from the 50, and they kicked kicked it off, yeah, from the 50. They kicked it out of bounds. So that's a net zero-yard kick. Think about it. Well, and and if we look at it from a positive standpoint, too. No, I guess not. Hang on. No, that's not how that works. They would have kicked off from the 35. Okay. Or, I don't know. I don't know what they kicked off Forget what I just said. That was wrong. Um, (laughs) They started at the Math is not your friend. TCU started at the 50. I know we're two hours into the show. You think I'd be tuned up here, but I'm just I'm just not. Well, like it, it does give me hope because if they do get in a good kicker and good punter at some point, like clearly they've fixed a lot of the special teams woes that have plagued this program for a long time. You know so if they a, get that too, they could be like dominant on special teams. I don't know. How do you recruit a kicker or a punter? It's the same way you recruit anything. What do you mean? <laughs> just, like, I don't know. Just just asking a question. Okay, but see, I feel like recruiting a kicker is almost more akin to recruiting in like track and field where there's like very documented data of hey this is what I ran so you know to recruit me whereas with a kicker it's like this is the longest I've kicked the field goal this year you know what I mean I I suppose it's not like a running back where it's like well we got to see in person how many broken tackles yeah again this all goes back to my idea of like it's it's more of a finished product I I do want to talk about too some of the decisions in this game okay And, and specifically the fourth down decisions for KU, because this has kind of become a theme this year, which is odd, because last year they were one of the most aggressive teams in the conference. Last season, Kansas was second in the Big 12. They went for 34th downs over the course of the season. This season, they've gone for just nine, which is ninth in the Big 12. So you went from runner-up to now runner-up from last. Yeah, And, and I can think of like four or five occasions yes. off the top of my head where the Iowa State you game, gone for it. the Duke game, Duke game you had West a fourth Virginia. and three. Well, uh, you had the uh, TCU game where you had uh, the option to go for it instead of kicking that field goal that you did miss. Well, that was like a fourth and 12. Was it? Okay, maybe. I, I feel like there was another one in that game. I, I could be misremembering. Um, but you had it against Baylor. You had the, the, the field goal, the first score you had of the game. You're going for it. Then you get a false start. Then you get an offsides, and then you decide to kick it. Which, why would you not just go for it in that situation if you were going to go for it before? That's, so, that's the case of, you know, coach taking a timeout, making them think about it, change their mind. I know, and I don't, I don't love that at all. Mind games. But again, go back to the numbers. Last year, they were second in the Big 12 and going forward on fourth. This year, you're ninth. And yes, there is... There, there's other factors yeah, there's, that go into that. circumstances if, that if KU skew the numbers. KU had more fourth downs to try last year. Like, KU was, was put in more fourth downs last year because their offense wasn't as good. And also, KU had to be more aggressive to make up for not being as good offensively. So, like, some of that makes sense, but here's what would counter that. Baylor was first in the conference last season and going forward on fourth down. They are second in the conference this year. Baylor last year won the Big 12. Baylor's pretty good this year. So it's not just about, hey, if you're bad, you're going to be I mean, at more fourth downs, you're going to go for it. I don't think it's a direct correlation, but I understand what you're I think it's an aggressive nature. And, yeah, and I, I think where you're going with that. I think that KU last year was almost more 
let's let it rip. Whereas this year they have been more protective on some of those fourth down decisions. And I think KU needs to get back to where they were last year. And because you have a better offense, you're going to convert more of those fourth downs. Yeah. And obviously you look at the defense. I mean, I think if you're in plus territory, you're in between the forties and it's fourth and four or less, you should probably be rolling the dice more often than not. Right. I think so. And especially if you trust your quarterback, which I think they still do overall to Jason Mean. I, I know I've said that it's a little less of the offense than with Jalen Daniels, but regardless of whether it's Jason Mean or Jalen Daniels, like you trust either of those quarterbacks. You trust your offense yeah. overall that why not let them convert a fourth and three or a fourth and four? And that, yes, there's time and place. I'm not saying go for it every time, but certainly more I would expect it. Go for it every time. Than right now, what they're at. Go for it every time. Basically, you're averaging one a game. Last year, you were like two and a half. Bring the numbers up. Because you, you need small margins of improvement Does to find KU a way to win these games. The binder guy, the binder, the, the guy. guy with the the sheet of uh, analytics that yeah, tells yeah. you what to do it. Do they need one of those guys? Yeah, let's do it. I, I know Lance Leipold does look at that stuff, but I, I so I don't know what's gone into kind of losing that this year. If there's something they think about their playing style or whatnot that that doesn't benefit that, I, I don't know what the answer is there. But uh, kind of odd that. You know, you notice that from last year to this year. Hire uh, me. I'll I'll do the, I'll be the binder guy. Oh, I'll do it too. Well, actually, you don't want me. I'm bad at math. I was gonna say, is that really a job? No, actually, that- you don't want me. Actually, I just I take <laughs> that back. I would not be qualified. <laughs> He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're gonna take a timeout when we come back. Florida man, Mad Libs. This is Rock Shock Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. One redacted word, and that is what we have here for you, gentlemen. Again, these are all legitimate headlines. Maybe not current, and not all of these are actually from Florida, but that's not the point. So we'll get to it. All right, gentlemen, here we go. Round one. You guys ready? Yep, let's do oh, it. Yeah. All right, let's do it. Round one, one redacted word is baffled cops find car thief hiding in a blank after noticing it was breathing. So there's a lot of, you got to understand, you know, there's material. <laughs> Wait, what was it? What was it? Find a, okay, find so a what? Hiding, blank? hiding in a blank. Oh, hiding in a blank. Yeah, hiding in a blank after noticing it was breathing. Okay. So obviously movement got to be a light enough material that he could have gotten in pretty quickly and can breathe in and notice that movement. I don't know. So here is your options. Baffled cops find a car thief hiding in a suitcase, a teddy bear, or a down comforter. Oh, boy. The, uh, the teddy bear is interesting. Right. The suitcase, I don't think it's the comforter. I could have been doing laundry or something and just hopped in. Yeah. I don't I'm going to take a chance on teddy bear. But the, the the question I'm having with teddy bear is, how does it get inside the teddy bear in the first place? It just could be one of those like giant ones. Oh, okay. You know, that's that you yeah, yeah, okay, okay, yeah. I'm going with that. I'm I going with teddy bear. I don't think it's suitcase because if it's like, if the cops noticed it, quote unquote, breathing, that means they saw it kind of like exhaling in and out. I think the suitcase, you wouldn't notice that. Like it's too firm. It could have been like a, a duffel bag case. I guess. Would you fit in a duffel bag though? I don't think you would. Um. I think it's the the comforter. I think he was like hiding in the comforter, and it was like expanding in and out. So again, all plausible options here. I tried to make okay. it difficult on you guys, yeah. but Derek, you actually had the story. It was the life size teddy bears. I don't know how we got in there so quickly, but Nick, yeah, coming away. Baffled cops find Boom. car thief hiding in a teddy bear after noticing that it was breathing. What an odd scene to come up to. Uh, a 
That's know, kind of a good hiding spot, though. It, it is. You just got to watch your breaths, I guess. All right. Nick comes away with one point. He'll on the lead board. after the first round, but now we get into and the second put round. Put it on the board. And on the board. Of course, if you're new here, second round has two redacted words. And if you get them both, that's three points. So let's get to this. A blank trashes a couple's holiday home, gets sick on the blank, and then sleeps in their bed. So let me start again from the start here. A blank trashes a couple's holiday home, gets sick on the blank, and then sleeps in their bed. So we'll start with the first Is this one. like a Goldilocks and the Three Bears story? <laughs> <laughs> it might be. Well, a bear was one of the options. Okay. An otter or just Florida man. So Florida man, <laughs> otter, or bear. Trashes couple's holiday home, gets sick on the blank, and then sleeps in their the bed. The Florida man option, it feels like bait, but I don't know. Well, it's almost too but obvious. A, a vacation home, like it, maybe it's a. I mean, I mean, people have vacation homes in Florida. It's, yeah, I guess that's true. There's some because like the bear, you have to have a vacation home in like Colorado or something for a bear. Mm-hmm. And then an otter man, like it's the otter one is so weird that it could be the right answer. Right, but like, how did the otter get in the house? And also, yeah, otters they they like the water. They're not gonna swim up through the toilet. Can that happen? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, the otter, weirder stories. The otter is way too big. I think to fit through um, the, those pipes. I'm gonna go bear. I don't know. All right, so Derek going with okay, bear. Florida I'll man, go, bear I'll, or otter? I'll go Florida man. Nick. All right, he's going with the Florida man again. Either Florida man, bear or otter trashes a couple's holiday home, gets sick on either the couch, the family dog, or the carpet, and then sleeps in their bed. So he gets sick, whoever it may be. On so either. He, he throws up on one of these. Correct, options. correct. He throws up on either the couch, the family dog, or the carpet. This was all found on security surveillance, by the way, but this was the headline. But then he proceeds to sleep in the bed. So it's either a Florida man, bear, or otter getting sick on the carpet, couch, or family dog. Second redacted word. Derek, what are your thoughts initially? Because it could be any of them, to be honest. Yeah, I don't really have a, a reason for any of these. I'm just going to take a random guess. I, I think the one that makes the less, the least sense to me is the, the family dog. If it was at their, um, you know, vacation spot, basically, like, why is the dog there by itself? So it's, for me, couch or, or carpet. Uh, I'll just go couch. Derek going with couch. I'm going to go with the couch also. And Nick going with the couch as well. You know, it's the guy and, you know, he just... He's drunk, got He's drunk. sick on the whatever, and sleeps in the bed, the couch. whatever yeah. it is. So, well, here it is. Without any redacted words, it is an otter, actually. An otter trashes a couple's what? holiday home, wow. gets sick on the carpet, and then wow. sleeps in their bed. All discovered on See, Derek, security I told surveillance. you the otter was, was so out there that it could have been right, and it was. You took my bait, though. I like that. I know. I, I didn't would, even I think. I took the bait. <laughs> you know, I didn't even think of this, though. You made a very good point, Derek. What would a dog be doing at a vacation home with no one else there? I didn't is, even think yeah, about right. putting that yeah. into my answers. That so, uh, hey, you, you, you thought me, I thought me on that one. Okay, nobody got points there. Nick's still in the lead. This one actually comes to us from our neighbors across the pond in Europe, so keep that in mind. Uh, a man crashes into a blank, runs off, and is attacked by a blank before being arrested. So a man crashes into a corner store, just a home, or a pub, Runs off and is attacked by a blank before being arrested. We'll get to the second redacted word, but the first home, pub, or corner store. And it was a vehicle. Yes, he crashed a vehicle into it. Okay. I feel like it might be pub, and then he runs away from the pub, and then the people in the pub were angry that he crashed into them. That They chase him down and so drunk, beat him up. A drunk mob. Yeah, the drunk chase mob chased him down. 
That's 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 there's my some, that's my gut feeling on this. There's some pubs in like Irish or Scotland where if you exactly. touch it, I'll tell if you, you what. If you if you yeah, if, they, if those guys are having a jolly time in there, and then you just ram in there into their pub, man, dude, that's like their that's like their home for some of those people. I'm gonna yeah. go with the pub. I'm gonna ride this theory. Nick's locking in. Nick's locking in with the pub. Man. I feel I I have zero like reason to pick anything on like any of the ones that have come up this week. So um, I'm keeping it difficult for you boys. We're corner store, down. sure. All right, Derek, go with the corner store. Okay, so a man crashes either into a home, a pub, or a corner store, runs off, and here's the kicker for you guys, and is attacked by either a cat, a badger, or an emu before being arrested. <laughs> So yeah, here's your here's your kicker for you. So again, he crashes into something. Okay. Well, tries to flee and then is either attacked by the, a cat, a badger, or an emu. On the previous guess, I took the bait. Is the emu bait here? You think there? Why would the emu be bait? Wouldn't that be more in the the running of are like emus, the otter? Are emus more aggressive animals? They are pretty aggressive. They're big birds. I mean, they're actually they're quite scary. Okay, to but look you said at, this happened in Europe. Does Correct. Europe even have emus? Yes, they do. And bad. Are we sure? I made sure. I, I had to do a fact. I, I feel like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, it came from a UK headline. I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with badger. You're going to go with badger. They are very aggressive. Yeah, so, badgers are mean, feisty animals. So are cats, though. So you never know. Maybe it may have been the yeah, neighborhood cat. Could have been a stray cat. Random yeah. badger or yeah. a or dinosaur-looking bird. I just have a hard time envisioning, like, this guy. He's like... You know, in a city or whatever, he crashes into <laughs> a pub <laughs> and he's running away. And there's just an emu on the street, oh, just waiting boy. to beat him up. I'll go badger as well. That makes the most sense to me. I I think you were probably we have that uh, lemu emu commercial going emu. on as you were writing this <laughs> that played on the radio, and you're like, "Ooh, I'll use emu as one of the options." No, it was not that effect actually, and it was an emu. A man crashes oh, into oh a corner God. store. He was bait again. So a man crashes into a corner store, and it was kind of out in a rural area, but the corner store runs off and then is attacked by an emu, which was uh, housed at a local farm. <laughs> so uh, he was just out in the pasture, nothing. This guy tried to run in through the pasture. He got attacked by the emu and then was promptly arrested in that That's field. That's so messed so. up, man. Derek, you got one point there. Ties things up, so we'll go into the final round, all tied up, <laughs> ready to go here. Two redacted words. Let's do it. Florida man is arrested after he attacks his blank over some undercooked blank. He attacks his blank? Yeah. So Over some undercooked blank. For some, uh, yeah. Florida man okay. arrested after he attacks his either nephew, his neighbor, or his grandmother over some undercooked <laughs> blank. <laughs> okay. So we're tied at one. We're tied at one, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. No. My gut tells me to go with the grandmother here. That was my gut reaction as well, but like. <laughs> I'm doing it. Give me grandmother. That's so mean. <laughs> it's a Florida man. It's Grandma's always making the, food, too. It's but, bar for the yeah. course. Yeah, this is a guy who's just, you know. Uh, reread the reread it for me. Florida man arrested after he attacks either his nephew, grandmother, or neighbor over some undercooked blanks. So we'll get to the second one. All right, just second. to give something different, I'm going to go neighbor. More likely to attack you your neighbor like than a, your grandma. You think it's like a backyard cookout? And, and Maybe. The neighbor was cooking something. Maybe the neighbor and, felt bad. Maybe he had, like, something going on. He was like, here, I brought you some food for you. And I know you've been feeling food. under the weather. I know, like, you know, a loved one just, I don't know. Oh, the classic case of, like, they're sick, but then you give them undercooked chicken? I don't think they oh, did it on purpose. Man, That's my guess. That, my yeah. guess they didn't do it on purpose, but the person took it as an affront. Okay. And they were like, oh, you're trying to kill me now? Here I come. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Derek goes with neighbor. Nick goes with grandmother. Over some undercooked burgers, noodles, or some gator. 
So again, Florida man arrested. Oh my gosh, all Three of these packs. are so stupid. It's silly, and I thought it was bait, like chicken. A... <laughs> Noodles, burgers, or gay. I mean, hey, undercooked red meat's pretty nasty, though. I I feel like this is grandma cooking up her famous noodles recipe and she undercooked it or messed it up somehow. Give me noodles. All right, Nick going with noodles. I'm going noodles as well. Okay, Derek going with noodles oh, same answer. as well. I don't know if that's a strategy or smart, but it actually worked out for you because it ended up tying things here at the end. So we'll have to figure out a tiebreaker when we get off the air or do Wait, something so what here was the for first week one, 11. It was, it was nephew. nephew. Oh, it was. Oh Neither of you got that. Gosh. Here's the full Florida man arrested. Bro, after your he nephew? <laughs> Like, uh, for noodles, though. I mean, come on. A, a Florida man arrested after he taxes nephew over undercooked noodles. So was his nephew noodles. making some ramen and for his for him? His and poor he was nephew like, was probably trying to make mac and cheese oh from the box for his first time. Dude, and, and just, uh, again, the, the, these are nonsensical every time. <laughs> mm. Every single time. But, gentlemen, thank that's you so a, much. We'll figure double. it out. But, hey, both of you can come away with at least a win today. But Derek still has the small point advantage. We'll come back with week number 12 next week. Thank you so much for including me, gentlemen. We'll be back, Florida Man Mad Libs, next week. Thank you very much, Sam. That's Sam Speck with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. That's Florida Men Mad Libs. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it.